to talk to you about the value of a confrontation. Now, some people don't like confrontation and some people live for it. Some people create confrontations where no confrontation is needed, but you feel you have a gift and you must use this gift. Those types of people have regrettably been given a name on TikTok, which we can't use from the stage because there may be people with that name, which I think would be unfair, right? Um, you can put it in the comments if you're... If you're a, it's a sort of a name for a person who is unnecessarily confrontational, perhaps a bit dramatic. I, for one, don't love confrontation, but when I get into it, then I really love it. <laughs> but it's not that kind of confrontation I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about an arrival at a conclusion point of our whole conversation for the last month, that the knowledge of the world is a spirit. And the wisdom of God is a spirit. And what happens when those two confront each other? The spirit of this world confronts the spirit of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is a moment where your life can radically change. And sometimes we fear those confrontations. We'd rather not have them. But truthfully, every now and then God pushes us to the boundary of something that confronts our hearts or confronts our minds or confronts our commitments. It confronts us in such a way that we're forced to either agree or disagree, do something or keep doing the same thing. Those kinds of confrontations are divine in nature. And we should thank God for them when they happen because God is teaching us how to respond differently. You know, some of the stories I'm going to share with you may be a little um, confronting. I mean, I had to say that, right? I remember in my own heart, I grew up in, you know, sort of 1980s and 90s South Africa. So you can fill in what that meant. And I remember I got to university and God called me to preach. And in the first year or two, I preached primarily to people who spoke English and Afrikaans. But in the next few years, God opened the floodgates of people who came to know Jesus Christ and expressed that through the local gathering who spoke Zulu and Tosa and other languages. And I was confronted in my heart by how great this was that the Lord has done. And right there and then in that confrontation and moment in my heart, I came to realise that the thing that God does so miraculously in every nation and in any nation is when people from different walks of life, different languages, different backgrounds, different economic status and different experiences gather under one place and can lift up their hands before Jesus Christ and say, Waymaker, Miracle Worker. You see, he's not God if he only works in one kind of suburb. He's God if he works in the slums and in the significance of other places. That was confronting my heart. Do you know that people in the Bible had confrontations again and again? In fact, let me, let me take you to one of my perhaps most remarkable confrontations. The shortest verse in the Bible is, is very well known because it is just two words. Those two words are, Jesus wept. It's in John chapter 11, but it's in two other gospels too. When Jesus saw her, uh, Lazarus' sister, and uh, 
uh, saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along uh, with her also weeping. He, Jesus, was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He said, come and see, Lord, they replied. And there's that verse, Jesus wept. And when the Jews said, see how much he loved him. But some of them said, could not... Uh, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? I've often wondered about this verse. Why did Jesus weep, knowing he could raise him from the dead? And some people in the crowd weren't sure why he wept. Some said, oh, look, you know, he, he really felt for this guy. Others said, I'm not buying it. If he's really God, why is he crying for this guy? Could he just raise him from the dead? And in fact, Jesus did raise him from the dead. But there is another depth to why Jesus wept. He certainly wept for his friend Lazarus. The Bible does say they were friends. But I think Jesus wept because Jesus was confronted with his own future. For Lazarus, having died, is now in a tomb three days. And Jesus, looking upon the moment, was not confronted with the death of his friend Lazarus. He was confronted with the impending cross that Christ himself would have to carry. The three days he would have to spend in a grave too. He was confronted by that and it moved him. But but not to worry, uh, when Jesus is confronted by the cross, he says to Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out and he says, unwrap him, let him loose. And what he was preparing in his own mind was this will be my story too. I too will die, be put in a tomb for three days. I will be called out by a father who will say, leave the grave cloths behind. You won't need them and come out. And you know, sometimes when we're confronted by something, we miss what it's there for. We think, well, this is horrible or rude or unpleasant, but maybe it's a confrontation with a prophetic purpose. What God really wants to do is tell you, this is a moment where things can radically change. I can't believe that I constantly bring up food during my messages. I'm embarrassed by this tendency. I think it's the intermittent fasting. By the time I get to 10 o'clock, it's been 17 hours, and I think that sort of food surfaces. Anyway, not to belabor the point, there are pancakes after the service. And it's fat-free. No, no, it's fat-free pancakes. To quote an unbelievably cheesy joke, the fat you get is free. And so... My first experience of wasabi uh, wasn't good. I, I, I was taught about sushi uh, by a mischievous friend, knowing nothing about it because I, you know, I grew up where you cook your food. <laughs> My friend said, you've got to cleanse the palate first with this avocado mix. That's how they do it. That's how, you know, I don't want to offend people. That's how you start. So that's just a palate cleanser. You take the whole avocado thing and you stick it in your mouth and you swirl it around and it just gets you ready. We are no longer friends. <laughs> because I was unaware that, that that wasabi would suck the moisture and the air out of my nose and my mouth. I was choking like an amateur. The problem is the next time I approach sushi, I scooped it to the side. I said, don't even put it on my plate. I've had enough wasabi for a lifetime. You know, sometimes the first experience of something might be off-putting to you. 
My first experience of church was off-putting to me. I attended a church service that was so extreme, I didn't know what was going on. It lasted three hours. People were falling, people were standing. There was a group of people in front saying, let go. There was a group of people behind saying, hold on. I wasn't being prayed for and I didn't know what to do. At some point, I just wanted to go to that guy and say, just fall, just end this. Some of you are like, why does he bring it up? You're sweating already. Others of you are like, those were the good days. You were in that service. You were the guy in front, weren't you, saying, let go. It was so long. It was quite off-putting. I didn't know what was going on. I went home a little confused. And a lot scared. But my friend persevered and said, maybe that's just not your thing. Maybe there's another kind of a way you can see the Father. And a year later, I landed up in a crusade by a man called Michael Cassidy in a town hall in my KZN high school town, Eshawe. And he preached a gospel, the only one that saves, and invited us to give our lives to Christ. And I stood up and went to the front of the town hall in 19... In 1986, on the 15th of August, and I went to the front and I received Christ as Lord and Saviour and I was given a little Gideon's Blue Bible. I've come to realise that just because something is unpleasant in the first experience doesn't mean you close the door to it forever. And you've got to realise that sometimes a confrontation is designed to shake you loose from your false information to open your heart to something new. The whole world has been shaken recently. I'm a little worried that the Christians have learned the wrong lessons and are shrinking back. In this moment of confrontation, we should say, consider what the Lord is about to do. We're too standing before a tomb or open grave and going, come out next season, come out new life, come out next story. Because I am sure that the story hasn't ended there. It ends when Jesus Christ says it will end. Is that clappable? Almost. Adam had a confrontation. Do you remember when he, uh, he ate of the, uh, of the apple and him and Eve partook and then God comes to look for them? Adam had to confront his choices. In Genesis, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord uh, God as he walked in the garden in the cool of the day. And um, uh, there we go. And they hid from the Lord uh, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid. You know, God confronted Adam's choices and for a brief moment made him feel a little insecure. Actually, it was his sin that made him feel insecure. And for a little moment, God put a mirror up before Adam and said, Adam, what are you doing? Do you know, we live in a world in which confronting stuff doesn't seem to be very popular. But let me tell you, being lenient isn't always being loving. This is the love of a father coming to a child and saying, what are you doing? Of course, you know what Adam did, right? You know, he said, well, I'm naked. And then God said, who told you you're naked? He said, well, the woman. (laughs) 
exactly. Where was that verse? <laughs> Perhaps the Lord God said to Adam and Eve when they were finished, Eibel. <laughs> now we must go through thousands of years to get you back to being comfortable in your own skin. Do you know what is strange about Adam and Eve? That Adam fell for the oldest trick in the book. They gave up their sonship in order to get what they already were, God's prized possession. Do you know what it was all based on? What if I could know more? You shall know the difference between good and evil. This pursuit of knowledge has a sharp edge to it. And I think we should pursue knowledge, absolutely. But we should never do it at the expense of the wisdom of God. I want to know things, but I want to be wise in the eyes of the Lord. Paul had a confrontation. It was a confrontation of his conscience. Before then, he was still called Saul. And he travelled on a road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. And on his journey, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, heard a voice saying, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul answers. Maybe you've needed a Damascus Road experience. Do you see how that all of these confrontations are questions? God says to somebody, whether it's a question to Adam, what are you doing? Or a question to, to, to Saul, Paul, what are you doing? I kind of feel like asking my heart and all of us and the world, what are you doing? Young people amening on the side there. Because I feel like we've forgotten that a confrontation is merely an open door to a moment of conversion or celebration or deliverance. And when we're confronted by something, we should learn to respond biblically. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord raises up a standard against him. When the rest of the world is in mourning, we should be singing our praises the louder to the Father. We should be singing our praises the louder. The world is becoming smarter but not wiser and the church unfortunately often more fearful rather than bolder. I think we should be bold. We should be able to declare with confidence, you know what, God is good. Even when I don't see it, He's working. And even if He's in the tomb right now, Lazarus will come out. And even if I'm going about things wrong and I'm insecure in my own skin, God has a redemptive plan. And even if I'm persecuting the Lord, somewhere my conscience knows Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. You can't, you can't fight it forever and be happy. And in Luke um, chapter 12, um, we learn that disruption and confrontation is sometimes a gift. Look what Jesus says, I've come to start a fire on the earth, not literally. I've come to start a fire on the earth. How I wish I were blazing right now. It were blazing right now. I've come to change everything, turn everything right side up. How I long for it to be finished. Do you think I came to smooth things over, make everything nice? Not so. I've come to disrupt and confront. I started this conversation by saying that we shouldn't feel we have a gift of confrontation. So I would like for you not to use this scripture as an assignment. Going around, starting fires all over the place, 
quoting, that you're not here to play nice and smooth things over. You just because the guy who said that went on to a cross to make that confrontation a reality. So you go about that, and somebody go and crucify you. So I, <laughs> I don't want to encourage you to develop a gift of confrontation, but I do want for us to embrace that when the spirit of this world is confronted by the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that in that moment you pick a side, live that life and watch how the Lord turns things right side up and puts everything exactly in the place where it is supposed to be. The Bible's gonna call you often to do things that just don't make sense. But that's because they don't make sense in the spirit of the world, but they make perfect sense in the spirit of the Lord. There's something about things that make sense biblically that don't have to make sense in any other way. It just makes sense. But when people say to me, uh, aren't some of the principles of Scripture outdated? You see, man's heart is the same. Man's heart is the same. When the Bible says, keep yourself and marry just once as far as you're able and fulfill the power of raising a generation in the way of the Lord. That principle isn't outdated because human beings are the same. Our hearts need safety. Our relationships reflect the goodness of God. But I also want to tell you that if you've broken something or felt you've been broken by something, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is able to raise you up again able to raise a new relationship for you, able to raise a new day for you, able to set you free from the mistake, the Adam decision, the Paul action and the Lazarus death. He's able to confront that and turn it around and set you on a path of victory and deliverance again. I'm increasingly passionate about making sure we know that God is not stumped by our story. He's ready for it. And I want to encourage you today to step out in faith and allow that moment of confrontation because we're all going to have it often. You're going to be confronted. Your wife's going to confront you or your husband's going to confront you. Your, your story's going to confront you. Your finances are going to confront you. At some point, you're going to face it and then say, I choose the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of this world. I can't tell you how many times in my own spiritual, my finances confronted me and I had to apply the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of our God. And even when it doesn't make sense, I go with the wisdom of God and then he turns things right side up and something changes in the moment. I started this conversation by saying, it's an adventure. You're in for an adventure when you choose the wisdom of God. It'll be unbelievable and transformational. 1 Corinthians 11 says, if we get this straight now, we won't have to be straightened out later on. Better to be confronted by the master now than to face a fiery confrontation later. That's hectic, isn't it? It's hectic because God, you know, um, I forget who the author was uh, who said it, but, uh, you know, God starts out speaking to us softly. My problem is I only usually hear when he's had to start speaking loudly. 
And there's something about the realization of that that's so incredibly powerful. So I guess in landing us on an action, I thought it would be good for us to ask ourselves a question. What moves, motivates, or inspires us? What wisdom do we rely on for our actions, our decisions, our worldview, and our perspective? Some people are fired up by the flames of intention. There's something inside of you that says, I must. Do you know, I've realized there's a very dangerous word, uh, phrase uh, in the world. And that is the phrase, I don't feel like it. It's one of the most dangerous wisdom of this world uh, phrases. It's actually a spirit. I don't feel like it. When people tell me, I don't feel like it, I want you to know that the spirit of this world is reaching for your heart. Because we don't respond by how we feel. We respond by the leading of the Spirit. Sometimes we say things like, I can't help it. As if we are pre-programmed and we just do what our programming tells us. Is that wise? If you say, I don't feel like it for one thing now, what other thing will you say it for? Today you don't feel like gymming, fair enough. But what happens if tomorrow the same spirit says, I don't feel like loving my wife? And if you got used to saying, I don't feel like it for one thing, how will you handbrake it when you have to do it for something else? When the devil says, you don't feel like being in church or being a believer or following after the faith or follow, if you've said yes to, I don't feel like it before, how will you say no? When you say, it's just the way I am. How do you hold that back when just the way you are is not acceptable in a marriage, raising kids, in a community? When you say, I just can't help it. It's fine to say that for the fourth pancake you will eat after service today. I highly recommend the cinnamon with a little bit of, 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 of lemon. I think that's very important, the lemon and the cinnamon and the sugar. You can say, well, I can't help it. But how will you say no to that phrase, that, that worldly wisdom, when what you can't help hurts someone? I can't help it. You know, the world says, well, if you can't help it, we should medicate it. The Bible says, if you can't help it, we shall put it on a cross and we resurrect you a new man so that the things you ought to do, you do, and the things you ought not to do lie dead on a cross. We should watch this thing of the spirit of this world. It's climbing into our hearts. When I grew up as a youngster, cartoons used to have a little devil on one shoulder and a little angel on the other. And each one was trying to persuade us what we should do. That's not an entirely truthful picture. The truth is that the devil is not sitting on our shoulder. That would be easy. We would... Sometimes the devil comes in pancakes. <laughs> and in so-called friends who tell you it's avocado. And sometimes the devil comes in a paycheck. And sometimes the devil comes in a relationship. 
Not the person. Please don't look at the... Just to be clear, don't go to your boss and say, you know what, when you pay me, that's like sending Satan to me. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. But you see, there is something in it that if it isn't sanctified, it can become sinful. So now you should sanctify everything so that it operates under the spirit of the Lord and not under the spirit of this world, you see. Some people are... Uh, fired up by inspiration. The Holy Spirit told me. I love that. Some people are fired up by temptation. And I want to encourage you today to be fired up by the work of the Holy Spirit. I read a quote. I need to wrap up with this quote. I'm actually going to end on time today. I mean, I think as far as miracles are concerned, surely this I looked at the clock and I said to myself, I just need a minute. And you know what? I got a minute, which I'm using up now explaining that I have a minute. I read this quote by a guy called John Scott, wrote it in a book. Before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. Lord, thank you for dying on a cross for me. But the deepest level of that confrontation is, I'm sorry I put you on a cross. There's something, there's something remarkable about that shift. So here's my conclusion on a series about the adventure of the wisdom of God. When the wisdom of this world confronts or is confronted by the wisdom of God, make a choice to ride along God's heavenly wisdom and watch how he'll turn things right side up and you will be free from the burden of the consequence of the spirit of this world. What is its consequence? Well, the spirit of this world has no hope, but the spirit of God is full of hope. For now, faith is the substance of things Hoped for. Hoped for. If you're hopeless, you've let the spirit of the world take a hold of your heart. But if you're sitting here full of hope today, that's the wisdom of God right there. And I'm trusting together with you that we'll walk by faith and not by sight. And we'll have the discernment to distinguish between the worldly knowledge and godly wisdom and the spirit of this world and the spirit of God. Can you say amen to that? Would you stand with me as we pray? Oh, so nice to see you all here this morning. I, 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 um, I'm excited about what the future looks like. I know there's lots going on at the moment. We weren't even sure if gatherings were going to be allowed. But let me tell you, God is at work. Something is going to break loose. Because when the wisdom of this world is run out of its information, the Spirit of God comes and raises up a standard. Can you say amen? So Father, we pray today that you will fill us with wisdom and knowledge of your will. That we'll walk by the spirit of faith and not the spirit of fear, that we will not allow the spirit of this world to infiltrate our hearts and capture it, but that we'll be set free by the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, we invite you to take charge and to lead us, guide us and comfort us 
In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, would you give God one more shout of praise and worship, a great joy.